0: Praise the Lord Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than seventy years culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called life study of the bible today we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry along with some of our own considerations at the end of the program we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men but for now please enjoy today's program The book of Romans, in its final three verses, concludes with a beautiful offering of praise to God. Theologians have dubbed it a doxology, though it might aptly be called a melody, a melody of praise that we can fully enter into. It's the peak of the gospel of God as presented in Romans, and this is our focus today on the life study of the Bible with Witness Lee. Thank you for joining us. We're going to depart today from our usual custom of presenting brief portions of the original spoken life study message by Witness Lee. As it turns out, this message was given somewhat impromptu, and had it not been for one of the listeners in the audience having a recorder on the chair next to them, we would have had no way to even get it into print, and regrettably, the tape that is from that recording is certainly not acceptable for broadcast, regardless of our efforts to improve it. But we do have Ron Kangas with us again, who happened to be there for that message and who also has been involved in the editing of the entire life study as it has been published by Living Stream. And Ron, I'm very happy that you're able to be with us today to help us get through this one.
1: As always, I'm glad to be with you and welcome the opportunity to try to engage in a little, little fuller fellowship for this program.
0: We will look to the Lord to cover, uh, anything that we might lack, and hope that he would bless and magnify all of what we have to offer. This message, given in 1974, was a somewhat of a concluding word to the first travel through Romans that took place in this life study. And that was consecutive from chapters 1 through 16. Uh, and today, this message begins with a concise overview of the entire book. I wonder if you would start today by giving us... The major points of this overview, the major stations we could say in Romans.
1: I feel to do this from uh, a certain perspective with a certain feeling, which I'd like to share right at the outset. Uh, the perspective is that of the revelation of God's entire economy revealed in the New Testament. And the feeling is that in our experience and practice we should have a book of Romans with sixteen chapters, that is, with all the stations or all of the sections, and not just part. We appreciate the fact that when the Reformation began, God used a segment of the book of Romans to recover a tremendous truth, that of justification by grace through faith. This is the first major station in the book of Romans, the station or section of justification. The importance of this can hardly be overemphasized. Our experience of Christ as life for the body of Christ must rest upon the solid foundation of justification by faith. Regrettably, many expositors of Romans and many theologians, practically speaking, stop here and regard Romans as a book of justification. Some, however have gone on to the next station, which is sanctification in life. The Lord used a number of seekers of the Lord to go beyond, so to speak, justification into the realization of the saving life of Christ, and justification being the basis for this, and sanctification in life being an issue. So now we have two sections, or stations, justification and sanctification. But if we follow the book of Romans, we see that it does not end at chapter 8. When we come to chapter 12, we are in another station altogether, built upon the rest, and that's the body of Christ. We have a marvelous revelation here, of the organic body of Christ. We who are many members are one body in Christ. In this section or station, we have the revelation of the body. Some Bible expositors have stopped here, and they give messages about the body, and they give teachings on the body, and they talk about the body. But if we stop at the third station, we have no practicality. So we need to follow Romans through to the end, through chapters 14, 15, and 16, where you have actual, practical, local churches that are the actual and practical expressions of the one body of Christ revealed in chapter 12. So here is a book now, That's complete. Every section necessary. Every section precious. What are the four sections or stations? Justification, sanctification, the body, and the churches. Justification lays the foundation for sanctification in life. Through the experience of sanctification, we become mature sons who are the members of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is then expressed in this age in local churches. This is an overview of the book of Romans from the perspective of God's New Testament economy. Ron, as you alluded
0: to, there in chapter 8, we have our being conformed to the image of God's firstborn son. Certainly, we would have to consider this a high point of our personal experience of God's salvation. And in the message that we're covering today, Witness Lee pointed out that over the centuries, a vast number of believers, and you alluded to this in the introduction, have been satisfied to stop at this station or this point. But there's a second high point that's reached a little later in chapter 12, and that has become the stopping point or the favorite point of rest for still many other believers. Are these points the ultimate message of Romans? And if so, why then do we even have the final four chapters?
1: We have the, the final four chapters as a way of illustrating and testifying that what is revealed in the book of Romans through chapters 12 and 13 needs to be lived out. It needs to be practiced here and now on the earth. We simply can't resign ourselves to the present pitiful situation and And hope for eternity, uh, Paul and his co-workers and the early saints lived in an actual and practical church life, and that church life was designed by God to carry out the vision in the scriptures. Uh, I want to comment on why I feel many readers stop at either chapter twelve or chapter eight. Many stop at chapter 8 because they simply do not see beyond their personal, individual, spiritual experience. They love the Lord, they pursue the Lord, but basically their pursuit is limited by their concern with their personal spirituality. So they reach a peak of personal spirituality, they think, and stop. Uh, Others, either because they're deeply longing for something more, or they confront the fact that Romans, plain and simply, goes on, proceed to chapter 12. And there's a marvelous revelation here. But many stop at chapter 12. And I would like to suggest three reasons why. Some who discourse on chapter 12, speaking very frankly, are the professional Bible teachers that actually may not have the intention of, of practicing what's there, but delight in expounding the scriptures and teaching the truths of the scriptures, and therefore do not proceed beyond the teaching. Others don't go beyond chapter 12, although they would like to, simply because they don't know how. They have no way. They seem to have no opportunity. That how do we apply the vision of chapter 12 to today's situation of division? So these dear ones uh, are just stuck. Uh, they would go on if they could go on. Others, however... And here I need to speak with candor, even though I'm speaking only in principle. Others don't go on because they are not willing to pay the price to go on. It's one thing to have a dream about an ideal married life and to draw up your list of qualifications of a mate. One could live in that dream or that fantasy for the remainder of one's life. It's another thing to meet someone provided by the Lord, to love that person, to honor and respect that person, and to make a lifelong commitment to establishing a married life and a family life with that person, and to carry on that faithfully, knowing that there are many human imperfections. Well, it's one thing to talk about the body. It's another thing to get, quote, married to a practical expression of the body life in genuine local churches on the earth today. And to be there as a brother or sister in the Lord, to be there as a member, part of the corporate expression of Christ, this requires sacrifice. This is where the truths of all the other stations have their practical outworking. So... Paul, however, was not a theoretician. He was not discoursing on theological subjects simply because he liked to do so. His burden was the actual and practical church life in Rome and elsewhere. His burden was to facilitate the building up of the church according to the divine revelation. He himself was in the church life, and he himself ministered for this practical church life. So he ends Romans with a description of the way believers in Christ, regardless of background, actually and practically live in the church, based upon the previous stations in Romans to carry out the revelation of the body for the glory of God. The church life, as
0: is unveiled in these final passages in Romans, and now we're talking about the final four chapters, was appropriately termed God's masterpiece by Witness Lee in the actual life study message. Ron, I was impressed by the insight that he offered that the church life as presented by the Apostle Paul here included both Jewish and Gentile believers, and that in the first century there was a practical church life that consisted of these two radically different peoples, radically different in terms of their background and equally as different in their culture. And to me, this seems in large part to dispel the notion that such a practice of the oneness of the believers in a locality, inclusive of all whom God receives, could just not be possible.
1: To say it's not possible is to speak in unbelief and in disobedience to the word of God. The New Testament reveals not only that it's possible, but that it's necessary. This is the will of God. This is the way of God. God does not agree with believers being divided. God does not agree with churches based upon age or race, or social class, or economical level, or nationality, or language, or culture. God does not agree with this. The Bible reveals in Colossians there is one new man. The New Testament emphatically unveils there is one body. Historically, the human race, according to Scripture was distinguished by these two big categories, the Gentiles and then God's chosen people, Israel. But in the New Testament, the Jews and the Gentiles, as fellow partakers of Christ, are joined to be one body. And this one body is to have its practical expression in the cities where these believers are. So if in a particular city you have Jewish believers and Gentile believers, you do not have in the New Testament Messianic churches and Gentile churches. You have one church in that city consisting of all the believers. And the book of Romans in the latter chapter shows us that these believers need to learn how to live together in love and peace and harmony in the actual locality where they are, to be a testimony of the body. Allow me to say also that this fellowship I'm presenting, which is based on the revelation in Romans and elsewhere, is attested to, in my own case, by more than 31 years of practice in the church life. I would like to bear witness to the fact that by the grace of God and in obedience to the heavenly vision of God, we can, in the cities where we are, be actually and practically one. All races, all cultures, all classes, all social groups, all economical levels, if we're faithful to the Lord, can live a life of oneness in the local churches to testify to the whole universe There truly is one body and one new man in Christ Jesus.
0: All right, I surely appreciate your testimony. I'd like to ask you a question. I have heard and read from some of those that disagree with Watchman Nee's uh, word and the books that he wrote, two of which I think are quite well known on this topic of churches in a city. And certainly Witness Lee's continuation of that truth. And they will point to Romans as an example of how this really was not the case in the New Testament because Paul referred to the church in this one's house and the church in that one's house. How would you reconcile that?
1: Of course this is a familiar argument. Uh, One critic claims that while there were really two churches in Rome, that in chapter 1 Paul addressed his epistle to the church in Rome. And then in chapter 16, refer to the church meeting in the house of uh, Aquila and Priscilla. However, that's not what the book of Romans says. The book of Romans is addressed to all who are in Rome. Then toward the end, Paul identified the proper situation of the church, that those believers who were meeting on the ground of the church were, so it turned out, meeting in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. Paul's burden was to establish the believers concerning many things, and one of these things was the church life expressed in localities with all the believers being one in the Lord. If we study the New Testament without bias and without reservation— we will see that consistently all the way through, there is one church in one city as the expression of the one body of Christ. If anyone is clear about this, it's the Lord Jesus himself. In Revelation chapter 1, he told John to write down what he saw in a book and send it to seven churches. Then the Lord Jesus himself named seven cities. Furthermore, When Christ himself began to dictate particular epistles to these seven churches, he linked the church and the city, time after time after time. Finally, at the end of Revelation, he said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel, my messenger, to testify these things for the churches. If we go through carefully the New Testament documents we will realize there's no breaking of this principle. What we are presenting here is our teaching based upon the New Testament revelation. In actuality, how we should practice the church life, how we should go on for our corporate Christian life, we all need to seek the Lord and to seek his guidance. But we're here having a life study on the book of Romans. We have no right in the sight of God to perform a kind of appendectomy on this book and back away from how it ends, with churches, with an actual practical church life. Is this not part of the Word of God? Is this not a teaching by example? Is chapter 16 not equal in merit to chapter 14 or chapter 12? We believe it is. So in presenting this life study, especially this overview, we have to faithfully testify we're justified by grace, we're sanctified in life, we're members of the body, and this body is expressed in actual and practical local churches, one per city. This is the teaching and practice of the apostles in the New Testament.
0: Ron Witness Lee pointed out that any critical look at chapter 16 cannot help but take note of the warning that's issued right in the midst of the very lovely and tender discourse by Paul regarding the saints that he loves so much. What is this warning all
1: about? The warning is essentially about division. Paul says explicitly, Mark those who cause divisions. And these ones cause divisions by speaking differently from the revelation in the book of Romans. Paul realized that in the church life, we receive all manner of believers, regardless of their opinions on secondary doctrinal matters, and regardless of their practices. We receive all, we are general. But certain things cannot be tolerated, and one is division. Paul realized that there were some, and interestingly, they were quite gifted at speaking, that were divisive. Paul realized that if this divisive element comes in, it, in effect and in practice, would nullify the outworking of the teaching of this book. So in faithfulness to the Lord and in love for the saints, he warned them concerning those who cause divisions and present stumbling blocks to the saints. If we look at those verses in chapter 16, we don't need a lot of interpretation. Paul's word is very frank and very direct. He indicates, brothers, receive one another, be one with one another, but don't tolerate divisiveness.
0: Well, Ron, I've really enjoyed our conversation and fellowship today regarding especially this final chapter in Romans. But I have to admit also that I do miss Witness Lee's portion, as I'm sure you do, and I want to reassure our listeners that we'll have it again tomorrow on tomorrow's broadcast. But before we leave Romans 16 and conclude our broadcast I'd like to ask you one other very small question about a small phrase, and this phrase may seem insignificant, but I think it probably bears another glance. The phrase is the teaching in verse 17. Ron, what is the teaching?
1: This phrase, the teaching, has a specific application in Romans and a broader application in the New Testament. In Romans, The teaching refers to the teaching in the previous chapters, Paul's teaching in this epistle concerning God, Christ, the Spirit, salvation, which involves justification and being saved in life. Paul's teaching concerning the body, the receiving of the believers, and the church life. Paul was not presenting merely an opinion or a teaching. He is speaking with apostolic authority and calls it the teaching. And because it is the teaching, it was to be the norm by which the Christian life and the church life was to be governed. I would now, broadening our understanding, connect the phrase the teaching in Romans 16.17, to Acts 2.42, where we are told that the new believers continued steadfastly in the teaching and fellowship of the apostles. Paul was an apostle. The teaching in Romans is an instance and a part of the teaching of the apostles in the New Testament. Once again, we see that, strictly speaking, In the Bible, there is just one teaching. That is not your teaching, and it's not my teaching, and it's not anyone's personal teaching. It is the teaching of the apostles, which is the divine revelation in the entire New Testament. So Paul, in effect, was saying, believers at Rome, don't allow any divisions, but you Order your Christian life and church life according to the teaching because the teaching is the teaching of the apostles and the teaching of the apostles is the divine revelation that must govern us all in our pursuing the Lord and in our study of the Word of God. Ron,
0: thank you very much for your fellowship today and for the extended time that you've spent with us.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. We we thank the listeners for their forbearance. And let me say I take the lead to anticipate the return to Witness Lee speaking in the next broadcast.
0: We will be back tomorrow. And joining us then will be the recorded portion of Witness Lee as well as our usual fellowship. Thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to having you back tomorrow. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. Brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, publisher and distributor of the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. If you'd like to contact us, just email radio at lsm.org or call us toll free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.